I'm Dr. Gene Hansen. For more than 25 years, I've been answering your financial questions on Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. This is Money Talks, providing honest, straightforward answers to your financial questions. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, June 22, 2019. The only thing we have to economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline we in the dollar. It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning and thanks for tuning in to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined this morning by uh, my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keane. What's going on, Nooch? Morning. And Jesse Thomas from our uh, perimeter office. Yes, hey. The tax and accounting department, CPA, Jesse Thomas, CPA. Yes. Got to get forget. that in there. That's right. Well, guys, thanks for being on today. It's been an exciting week for sure. Once again, the Fed steps in to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Profit markets up. They didn't. They didn't. Change they, haven't done, they haven't done anything. They didn't take action to change rates, but their message. Remove the word patient. So they're losing patience. <laughs> exactly. They are losing patience. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, dots, the dots themselves moved, but the median forecast um, didn't really move uh, to close out this year. Uh, it looks a little different next year, but there were... A handful of folks on the board that we're talking about either one or two cuts this year. So yeah, yeah, I think two cuts is the expectation, and three for 2020. Which right? yeah, yeah, which it's it's interesting to me because it feels like the bond market called their shot, talking three cuts over the next 12 months. Yeah, and the Fed was not there. And over a month ago and and man did they turn here, quickly here they are now here you, they you, are now you talk about the bond market indicating that you know we have this sheet in front of us kind of shows you the the change in yields um across the yield curve so you know starting one month all the way out to 30 years and the change in yields over the past one month is just absurd the smallest change you have is in the three-month treasury which still lost 24 basis points up to the two, three, the two and the three-year lost about half a percent, almost 50 basis points in one month. The 10-year, so let's kind of look at the benchmark, 42 basis points. We dipped under 2%. Yeah, under 2%. Today, Thursday, at the time wow. of this recording, we dipped under 2%. It's so the inflation concerns are obviously more in focus in this meeting. Last meeting, it was, oh, you know, the lack of inflation uh, seems to be transitory. That doesn't seem to be the Fed's opinion any longer. They don't refer to it as transitory. Right, right. Inflation expectations have definitely moved down a tad. Sure. Um, but I think they're still anticipating on getting back to 2% over the next year or two. Yeah. Um, I think it's more just overall global growth, growth concerns. I mean, we're seeing global growth s- slow down. A lot of the econ- – we've had some decent e- economic data recently – you know, talking last week or two, but yeah. broadly speaking, we've looked at some, you know, macro surprises to the downside. And I I don't envy Jerome Powell's position here trying to kind of 
handicap economic policy at a time where you have no idea what's going to happen with the G20 summit. You have no idea what's going to happen with tariffs. Cause what about the newest piece of the puzzle? Not that it's really monetary policy, but Iran. Right. You didn't have you didn't have near the level of tension with Iran that last week that you have this week, and then we have a, a drone shot out of the sky, mm-hmm. um, and you know Donald Trump makes a, tweets a few things out, and markets pull back about forty bips intraday. They've since kind of recovered. Um, He's really mastered the cryptic tweet. Absolutely. Are are we going to attack Iran? Guess we'll see. Or wait and see or something yeah, like that. We'll see. Guess we'll see. Said Iran made a huge mistake, but then came back 30 minutes later and said, oh, I'm some, well, we don't know if they did it on purpose. And then Some hothead probably yeah. just made a mistake. And then you had uh, one of the generals in Iran basically say that we're sending a message to the U.S. So yeah. who knows? <laughs> Who knows? And and you want to talk inflation? You want to talk forecasting inflation? Well, what happens when oil goes? I mean, yeah, six percent move. You've got at some that, point today. What is it? The Strait of Hormuz. Yep. You've got that. You know, if we're at war, it's going to be hard to get the oil. Absolutely, that's where the tankers. At, what was it last week? You had two tankers that were attacked. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we saw oil move on this drone strike news. You start seeing oil moving up, then the. the, the the tenure at two percent is going to look silly, and inflation trying trying to worry about getting inflation to two percent is also going to sound silly. Yeah, you, you introduce the potential potential of you know policies uh, too loose right now. Sure, and you know talking about uh, interest rates and yields, um, there's an article published today: global negative yielding debt hits record twelve point three trillion dollars. That's absurd. Yeah, the level of Debt that is has a negative yield is twelve point three trillion dollars. The average yield of the global bond market is now one point seven six percent, down from two point five one percent in November of last year. And then on uh, on Tuesday, Austrian, French, and Swedish ten-year yields all slumped below zero for the first time. You've got the 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 ten-year German Bund at negative point three two percent, all-time record low. Well, Draghi's on his way out, and he kind of just oh yeah, he's like. Through the kitchen sink, absolutely didn't didn't actually change anything. But as far as as far as changing expectations, he was like, "We're gonna do whatever anything. we have to do." Yeah. Another whatever it takes moment, I guess. Yeah. it's crazy. You know, you look at two percent on the on the ten year U.S. Treasury, and then Italian debt ten ten year Italian debt yields the same. Yeah, from they, a risk perspective, how does that make sense? And if they ever break free from the EU. They're going to write the fattest check you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how all this has played into equity markets uh, this week, we're up about 2% on the week, led by energy up 3.44%, as you would expect with the big move in oil prices. Uh, second uh, biggest leader of the week, information technology, which has been the leader year to date. We're up 18.8% so far in 2019. Um, 28, almost 28% for uh, information technology. Real estate's up 25. Consumer discretionary about 22.5%. Yeah, Nick, kind of on the week, it, if, it feels like when the market heard that Trump and Xi were going to meet in, at the G20, that was positive news. So, yeah, but we every time but we didn't like, know if they were going to meet. We didn't know if Xi was going to show up. So now he's going to show up. It's being interpreted as positive, but again. I, I just feel like it gets ahead of itself. You and I have talked about this. In fact, every time that we're on the show together, 
and I always relate it back to back when we had a lot of terrorist attacks. It used to move the market and it got to the point where the market became immune to it. When does that happen here? Because there can be talks and talks and talks, but nothing ever progresses. So at what point does the market start to shun this and say, we want action? Right. Well, as well, I mean, as, you're up one percent, almost a percent today. As as asset managers, too, at the end of the day, you also have to ask, OK, deal gets done today. Is the damage already done? I mean, you you've already got you've already got businesses have to make the decisions now. You know, yeah. they've been making decisions the past few months about where where are we moving production? Yeah, What's you've going got on companies, with production? even Apple coming out today yeah. that say we're going to start moving production to the U.S. I mean, this isn't this isn't small amounts of money. And what effect does that have on China, for instance, or or do, we haven't even talked about potential European tariffs, but yeah. so yeah, it it does feel like I mean you're looking at on on the look at that year to date, Nick. I know it's it's Tech absurd. Is up twenty seven and a half percent year to date. Kind of feels like we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I don't. And it also we have it, it's IPO after IPO after IPO. They just yeah. they get these absurd valuations, like Slack today, twenty billion dollar valuation. And I, I don't see how they're different, markedly different than than Skype. Both you and I were looking at that. Yeah, but one it's just one after the other. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to reconcile too because we were reading the other day that if if you look at institutional asset managers, they're positioned very you know. Risk cautiously, off. Yeah. yeah, cautiously right now. How do you reconcile with that? That with what it feels like is happening with retail investors right now. I don't or, know. It, <laughs> it definitely doesn't doesn't line up. It it feels like right now everything you can't go wrong anywhere. You buy bonds, they go up. Golds up. You buy gold, it goes up. You Equity buy stocks, up. it goes up. Oils up. Bitcoin's up. Bitcoin's you, up. You, you can't lose. Is that does that sound like a problem when I sit here and tell you it doesn't matter what asset class you buy, you can't lose? That's concerning to me. It doesn't me. feel sustainable. It, it, it doesn't definitely feel doesn't. Sustainable. Well, we can get into a couple of economic indicators here before yeah. we got to take a break from the week. Uh, last Friday, uh, we had the latest U.S. retail sales came in stronger than expected. Really, the, the bright spot there is you had a large upward revision to the April growth, um, growth of 0.3% rather than a 0.2% decline as initially reported. Um, gains were led by non-store retailers, sporting goods stores, hobby stores, electronics. So in May, you look year over year, uh, retail sales were up 3.2%. Pretty solid growth. Now it's down it's, from 3.7% yeah. year over year growth in April. Yeah, that rate of change is kind of slow if you put it in the context of the past couple years, let's say, but, sure. you know, not on an all-time basis, I guess, let's say. Um, what else worth mentioning? Consumer sentiment lost a little bit in June, but didn't really uh, completely erase all the gains we had in May. The index slipped to 97.9 uh, from 100, and uh, the decline, decline compared with May was led by the expectations component. So, yeah, you see five-year inflation expectations dipping to 2.2%, which is the lowest on record. So it kind of jives with, you know, a dovish Fed and, you know. Absolutely. Overall. Well, that's probably a good uh, place for us to take a quick break, uh, pay some bills. When we come back, we're going to dive into our study for the week and uh, talk a few other economic indicators. You listen to Money Talks. We'll be right back. This is the dog. 
Dog of the Week. All right, guys, you know what time it is. Everyone's favorite part. And this one hit close to home for the Dog of the Week this year. It's about Murdoch? Mr. Yes, that's our one of the dogs in the office here, Murdoch. He is not the Dog of the Week. Oh, he he's the dog, dog of the week in my heart. Oh, okay. Well, you can, I guess, hear past the constant barks. <laughs> anyway, misstep or long-term winner? Truest Bank. Oh, uh, Truest oh. Bank. Renaming our stadium so already. So the merging of SunTrust and BB&T, they have this great new name for the bank. Or actually they don't. It's called Truest Bank. What a crappy name. Yeah, I guess Moon Trust was already taken. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Truest. Just, it's just yeah. a letdown. You could have come. I mean, listen, everyone's. It's easy to hate on on someone's decision making when they're rebranding, but the internet just absolutely attacked us. And honestly, I, I love it. Yeah, it's like I don't love the name. I love that the internet attacked right. it. Do you suffer from daytime sleepiness? <laughs> truest. Try truest. Ask your doctor about truest. All right, so here's some of the internet uh, zingers. I've never been so rationally angry about a brand. Who wants a bank that makes me sound like I'm drunk every time I say it? <laughs> it looks like Atlanta has its next new Coke. Truest, really? That's what the marketing team came up with? It sounds like a medication to treat eczema or arthritis. <laughs> so similar thought process is you. There you go. Yeah. But, you know, just when the, the public was hating on it and you thought it was kind of starting to die, die down a little bit, now they're being sued by another company in Charlotte, um, Truliant Federal Credit Union who operates out of the same city, suing them for trademark infringement, saying it's going to confuse its customers. They've had the name for, you know, so long. So who knows? Maybe it doesn't end up being Truist. And we get at, we escape Truist Park because, oh, listen. Please. Unpopular truest opinion in Atlanta. I'm not a Braves fan, so I don't care. But I still don't want the park to be called Truist Park. Just mm. a bad name. No. Yeah. Back to the drawing board. But they also didn't release a logo yet. No, no real branding. So maybe they're, they're kind of like... Let's just see how this goes over. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's going well. Although uh, they say the support was balanced well, with, maybe, with the negative feedback. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the whole ploy is to get all, you know, all this coverage in the news just because it's so bad. So now you know what it is. You might not like it, that but you true. know what it is. That is true. More people know what Truist is than had it been a good name. I feel like SunTrust would have could have stuck. BB and T's like not a good name. Not a, it's not a good name. No, but SunTrust is a good name. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, unfortunately, my opinion doesn't count. This time. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, run over a couple more economic indicators we had in the week before we switch gears here. Um, new residential construction, housing starts slipped slightly in May, fell 0.9 percent below the revised April total, and by 4.7 percent from a year earlier. Um, you had a large decline in single-family starts that more than offset increase in multifamily starts. You also had decreased starts in the Northeast, Midwest, and the West. Um, housing permits did increase slightly. So housing, real, it's, it hasn't been strong in, in quite some time now, and the trend continues. Nothing, yeah. nothing overly you know, optimistic to say about the housing market. Well, we did see an uptick in refi activity last Holy cow, last, we did. 28%, yeah. something like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was absurd. That's not the case this week. Top line index for the uh, mortgage application survey fell 3.4%. Purchase applications are down 0.15% over the past four weeks. Um, if you look at one-week one week changes, both purchases index and refinance index fell by 3.5%. Um, still, mortgage rates look cheap if you can. If you've been yeah. waiting to get in a house and you can afford to get in the house, 
uh, rates look attractive. Although, shoot, We're expectations now is lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting to get back to those like 2014 levels, though. So yeah, you're right. It's kind of eyeing, eyeing those cycle lows, maybe. And you know, just kind of like a <laughs> local, one for a local the low? reference. I, I I follow you know in town real estate kind of closely, and I've seen a lot more listings dropping their prices as of late. Like if you're looking on whatever listing sites you want to use, I've seen a lot more that will look at it and say, you know, price recently dropped. So I don't know if you're starting to kind of see a slowdown in appreciation, but in the city of Atlanta anyway, you know, the area that the three of us on here live mm-hmm. in, it's been absurd, the price appreciation. So maybe seeing some yeah, of that uh, slowing. Yeah, another thing is in multifamily sites, you're seeing a lot of, you know, deals, contracts break down, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not actually close on the property anyways. Though I, I know a study was published this week, and um, Georgia is in the top ten most affordable states in the country, price per square foot. Wow. So. wow. Not, not in the city, I feel like. No, well, not in the city, know, but state, the state as a whole. All right, guys. Well, yeah. that kind of covers it for the economic picture. We'll dig a little bit more into the current uh, situation later in the show. But switch gears here a little bit. We'll do our, our, our weekly kind of study here. In this case, um, circumstances are Laureen received a promotion to a high-profile position within her company. As part of her compensation package, she was awarded 15,000 shares of company stock with a vesting schedule over the next five years. After the first year in her position, 1,000 shares vest, meaning she will have full ownership of those 1,000 shares. At her second anniversary, 2,000 shares will vest, and so on until her fifth year when her remaining 5,000 shares vest. So a couple topics to touch on here from the planning aspect. Um, you know, Jacob and I encounter this quite often. Uh, in research, people will, will you know, our, our clients will write in and say, I own X amount in my company stock. Uh, is it okay to hold? Should I continue to hold it? And then, Jesse, this is kind of mm-hmm. your bread and butter here, the tax uh, implications of, of owning these shares. And uh, just kind of to start off, our biggest concern is obviously we want to know that it's a fundamentally strong company, uh, something Jacob and I are going to look at. But Mostly, you want, we want to see the concentration risk. A lot of times, individuals will just be pouring money into their, you know, company stock purchase plan, or if it is, uh, in this case, you know, they receive um, stock in the form of mm-hmm. compensation. It's easy to have that accrue to be a large percentage of your wealth, right? And that can be problematic. You know, you essentially have all your eggs in one basket. Not only are your assets invested. Um, largely in company stock, but you rely on them for your paycheck as well. So you're you're tied in there financially pretty deep. Yeah, and it's it's the bias of familiarity and the bias of you think you're in control. Yeah, your your boots on the ground. You're there. You, I'll, heck, I'll take this I'll take this company to the moon. Um, but like you said, Nick, the the thing that you have to think about is your retirement is going to be based on your financial capital, but also your human capital, sure. your ability to you know earn money into the future and if those thing two things are tied in together you're you're adding so much risk yeah to, that that is to your ability to risk achieve your retirement goals and there's tax implications yeah jesse yeah i mean there are a lot of tax implications i mean with restricted stock it's a little bit different because you're taxed when it's vested and it's taxed as ordinary income but when you start talking about people not understanding the difference between having you know a restricted stock option plan against an incentive plan and is that incentive qualified or non-qualified right. it can mean the difference between ordinary income rates and capital gain rates which tend to be a lot lower um so you know as you get into these plans it's good to consult somebody see that you know 
what kind of plan you're getting into and what those implications are. No, with the with restricted stock, um, if if I receive restricted stock and invest, you know, I get mm-hmm. my first thousand shares in year one or whatever, two thousand in, in year two. Do I need to be withhold like how how can I withhold to to make sure that I'm not having to come out of pocket for those taxes, um, you know, when the tax man comes in April? Right. So with the restricted stock, the IRS actually requires the employer to okay. withhold on them. Um, and the restricted stock runs through your W-2. It's got a line item. Um, so it's not in your regular wages, or it is, but it's also separately stated so you can see it. But the, they withhold on that throughout the year. So hopefully, you know, if they're withholding at the right percentage for your income tax bracket, that's going to cover you by the year end. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something else, you know, that hits home close to me because my, my family has dealt with these issues and, and oftentimes we see it with our clients is you work for a company um, mm-hmm. for, you know, 20, 30 years. So you, not only have you acquired a lot of stock in a company, let's just say it's not even a large percentage of your wealth, but the the long-term capital gains that you have, your basis is so low. If, if you're right. retiring, let's say you're age 62 and you've worked there, you, you spent your whole career there, you worked there for 35 years. Um, you know, take IBM, for example, if your basis is extremely low and it's appreciated to $130 a share, mm-hmm. you got to, it's tough because you want to see the client take some of the money off the table, you know, lower, lower their concentration of position, but you can also understand the client's reluctance to do so when they see how much they're going to have to pay in capital gains. Yeah. And I mean, there are some ways around that. So if the client is, you know, a charitable client wants to give to charities and they've got all this stock sitting there with a low basis, you know, and they want to make donations instead of making donations of cash, you know, they can choose to gift those shares to an organization sure. so they get the fair market value. That's not going to work if you've got millions and millions and you need that money to live on. I mean, you're going to have to take some of the gain eventually. But if if you're just trying to kind of slowly move out of a position and you're talking, you know, giving $5,000 to your church against $5,000 of stock, it makes no difference to the church but it can save you kind of on those capital gain rates if you're going to have to sell. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about this often is I understand people's emotional tie to the company stock or something like that and the reluctancy to take the, ga- to take the gains. But in, in the case of a company that's struggling, it might have been a long time, you know, take GE, for example. Mm-hmm. If, if you sold it when we told you to sell it, you'd be in a lot better position. You're, what, are you going to hold it until you don't have gains anymore? Then what was the point? You've <laughs> lost all appreciation. Right. So it's, kinda, it's, it's tough for us to kind of craft that message to clients. I, I understand the reluctancy to not want to take gains, but at the same time, the goal is to make money. You're not going to make money without paying taxes. Yeah. I, my mom's favorite saying is, I want to pay a ton of tax. It means I made a ton of money. Absolutely. And when you're talking those long-term capital gains rates, it's going to be lower than ordinary income for most people anyway. It is. You're right. That's a great point, Jesse. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll listen. Uh, I'm sorry, answer some listener questions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jacob Keene and Jesse Thomas. And uh, it's come time in the show where we answer listener questions. If you have questions of your own you'd like to send in to us, have answered on the air, uh, you can call our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. You'll leave a voicemail and we'll answer your question on our next show. Um, or you can email them in at drgene at hensler.com. That's H-E-N. S S L E R dot com. 
And if you have questions of your own that you want you know, help on a personal level, feel free to reach out to us at 770-429-9166, and uh, we'd be lucky to or happy to uh, direct you in the right direction and lucky to have your business. All right, guys, listener questions, one of my favorite parts. First one comes from Lee from Alpharetta. Do we still have any tax credits for education? You lost me at taxes. Jesse, this one's yours. Yeah, I'll take that one. So there are still some tax credits for education. Um, most of them are income dependent, but you know, if you're talking about college-level education, there's still the American Opportunities Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit, um, which you know, can be helpful. Um, one thing to note on those is if you have a dependent who's filing their own tax return, but you are still claiming them as a dependent, that has to be taken on your return. Um, if you're a student and you're claiming yourself, it needs to be on the student's return. Um, in terms of student loan interest, you can deduct up to $2,500 depending on your adjusted gross income level. Um, I believe it's 70000 or less for single filers and 144 married filing joint. Um, but in my opinion, kind of the best place to look for a tax opportunity in education is 529 plans for the state of Georgia. Um, so you contribute and then the money can be used for certain things. Um, computers for school, college tuition, private school tuition as of the end of 2017. So yes, there are still opportunities for that. Uh, most of it depends on your income level level though. Is that the kind of the uh, the best way to solve towards college, do you think or towards save towards education? I have friends, you know, that mm-hmm. now have young families and are they'll, you know, hit me with questions. Oh, how should I be saving for educational expenses? That sort of thing. And being on the research side, the financial planning aspects aren't, you know, my bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the five twenty nine plan is definitely the best way to go with that. Um, you know, you put the money in, invest it let it grow, and then as long as you're using that for education, you're not picking it up on your income tax return. Um, The other benefit is that you are the owner, not who's using it. So if you do one for your niece and she goes to college and there's still money left over, you can redesignate it for another beneficiary. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Great to know. Thank you, Jesse. Um, Next question is Hillary from Atlanta. Can I still tap into the equity of my home? Um, Assuming that you have a sufficient equity in your home to tap into, uh, you should be able to. You've got a couple of options there. You can you know, do a HELOC or home equity line of credit, or you can do a home equity loan. The difference there is kind of home equity loan is you're taking a lump sum out at one time, whereas a home equity line of credit, think of it almost like a revolving uh, credit line, like a credit card um, against your home. So to differentiate between the two, your home equity loan um, – has a fixed rate of interest and you take a lump sum, as I said, as opposed to a line of credit where you have it's typically an adjustable interest rate, which right now, if we forecast rates going lower, that should work in your advantage. Um, and uh, some some lenders will actually allow you to convert to a fixed rate. And the benefit is you can draw money as you need it. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, I'm taking 40 grand out, whether I use 40 grand or not. Uh, as something comes up, maybe it's 10,000, I'll use it. And then another three comes up, I'll, you know, Swipe that card that's typically linked to it. Um, you pay interest only amount that you draw, only on the amount that you draw on the home equity line of credit. So saving you money there. Um, interest only payments are an option as well, which is typically not the case with a home equity loan. And I guess one thing from the tax side to mention is you used to be able to deduct all home equity line of credit interest. If you were itemizing, you can no longer do that if it is not being put back into your home. So if you're using it for vacation or something, don't take it. That's a good rule of thumb anyway. Mm -hmm. Typically, we advise if you're not – don't take money out of your home unless it's 
for a project that Correct. will improve the value of your home that you think you can get back when it comes time to sell. It's it's not, you know, a credit mm-hmm. card just to swipe on whatever you want to buy. Reminds me of when we talk to people about student loans. I know. You know, use it for what it's intended for, not for whatever else you had in mind. Um, Jerry from Decatur writes in, I'm trying to cut back on my consumer discretionary, especially restaurants. If we're in for a slowdown, I don't think eating out is going to be a priority. So in that space, I own Cheesecake Factory, Cracker Barrel, and Jack in the Box. What would you trim? Well, I mean, I I agree. A lot of times you hear about the restaurant indicator. It's a great indication of of, a pending recession. So... In that aspect, maybe you don't want to own any of the three, but Jacob, I think if you look at them, they're, they're kind of you're at different tiers, right? You have you have quick service at Jack in the Box, you have Cracker Barrel, which is not an expensive place, but more of a you know casual casual dining, and then you have Cheesecake Factory, which is a little pricier um, and probably the first to go if, if someone's going to trim their discretionary expenses. You're likely still going to eat one of these two over. Over uh, Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, and Cheesecake Factory also has the most expensive menu to right. produce. You know, it's like an encyclopedia. <laughs> it really is. And we, talk, we joke about this. How can, how can you possibly inven- keep all that inventory for all those different dishes? Right. right. Financially, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, the way to do it's it, it is to be like Chick-fil-A. It's just like we serve chicken. Yes. So, you can have chicken one we, of four are, different ways. Are we almost out of chicken? All right, order more chicken. Um, and bread. But I, I guess to answer the question, so, um, yeah, Cheesecake Factory, all these are valued approximately the same. They're all roughly 20 times earnings. Cracker Barrel's a tad less. I think Jack in the Box over the past five years has grown earnings about 20%. And they do have the franchise element, so they do have some franchise stores. Okay. Which there's going to be varying amounts of operating leverage relative to, you know, a traditional model and that they're just getting royalty payments sure. on that. So it, there might be a little more stability in that. Um, and then, like you said, Cracker Barrel's in between. So I guess if we're going to rank them in uh, order of sell first, what do you say? Cheesecake first. Cheesecake for sure. Then Cracker Barrel because yep. they do have the store. They do derive sales from the store. And, yeah. you know, folks traveling, a lot of their mm-hmm. business is done from folks traveling, vacationing, buying, you know, tchotchkes from yeah. the store um so that's going to be pretty discretionary as well so cheeseburgers i guess is the pick to keep if we're going to keep one yeah absolutely i would i would go with jack in the box as well so and again um you know you're trimming discretionary you don't have to be in the restaurant space i mean it's don't discount the fact that maybe you want to no. trade out of all three of these and get into something that's we try and position our discretionary holdings and when we think you know uh, the market looks looks risky and into more staple-like discretionary, if you will. They're not consumer staples. They're considered consumer discretionary, but they're things that people are going to continue to buy, um, you know, regardless of, of what's going on in the economy. All right, good answer there. So this one, uh, this next question, might draw us into the, the next segment, but uh, Carlos from Marietta says, I'm in the process of selling my business, and my lawyer keeps asking me if I'm selling assets or stock. Can you give me a rundown on differences? So this is a complicated question because the first thing I see in the question is your lawyers are asking you. If you're in the process of selling a business, exiting your business, what you want is you want to have a cohesive team that is all on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know that This is going to be lawyers, accountants, uh, business advisors, financial planners. Um, and a host of other professionals, but everyone should be on the same page. It shouldn't be, oh, this individual's coming to this meeting or this one's going to that meeting. If that's the case, after that, and progress is made towards the deal, 
there should be a conference call in which everyone is caught up to speed. So your lawyers shouldn't be in a situation where they're asking you, is this a stock sale or an asset sale, as they should be uh, advising you. But nonetheless, it's kind of complicated about whether or not you're going to structure an asset sale or a stock sale and that buyers and sellers benefit from opposing structures here. So generally speaking, a buyer is going to prefer an asset sale and a seller is going to prefer a stock sale. Now, every transaction is going to be unique. So definitely, as I said, talk to your uh, you know, appropriate professional before you move forward with the sale of your business. Um, but an asset sale is exactly as it sounds, the sale of individual assets and liabilities, whereas a stock sale is the purchase uh, or the sale of the owner's shares, shares of a corporation. So the biggest concerns in deciding what you should do are the tax implications and then down the road, the potential liabilities that you expose yourself to. So if you operate a sole proprietorship or a partnership or an LLC, the transaction can't be structured as a technical stock sale because they don't have stock in this kind of business structure. So instead, you can sell partnership or membership interest, which is basically the same thing. Um, but in an asset sale, the seller retains possession of the legal entity and the buyer purchases the individual assets of the company, such as its equipment or fixtures, licenses, inventory, trade secrets, things like that. Um, asset sales typically don't include cash, and the seller usually retains the long-term debt allocations. Now, working capital to, the, to a normalized number is going to be included. Um, that should be expected. But you have excess cash, that sort of thing is not going to be included. So... An asset sale is going to allow the buyer to step up the company's depreciable basis in the assets that depreciate quickly and allocate lower value on assets that amortize slowly to gain tax benefits. So, Jesse, you can probably speak this a little more. Basically, what you're doing is you're enabling yourself to have higher cash flow in those earlier years Correct. of yeah. the business. Yeah, accelerate the depreciation, kind of keep income down um, with that. But since it's non-cash, I mean, it's not costing you anything to do that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and then also as the buyer you're more likely to avoid potential liabilities uh, with an asset sale. From a seller's perspective, though, uh, the asset sale generate higher tax because while intangible assets are taxed at capital gains rates, hard assets are taxed at income, your ordinary income. Correct. Um, so definitely tax is a consideration um, in, in this context. Additionally, an entity sold as a C-Corp can mean double taxation for the seller. So if you're operating a C-Corp, the corporations first can be taxed upon selling the assets to the buyer, and then the corporation's owners are taxed again when the proceeds pass through to them. Mm -hmm. So these are all, you know, real things you need to be concerned with because just because your business sells at X dollar does not mean that that's what you're actually going to receive. So we got to take a quick break here, but uh, I, there is a few more topics to touch on here when we get back um, as it pertains to assets and stock sales. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. I am one of those When you start investing in stocks, you seek investment advice. When you seek investment advice, you go to the Internet. When you go to the Internet, you start believing all the wacky correlations spouted by armchair analysts. Sell, 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 sell. When you start believing those wacky correlations, you start buying and selling stocks based on butter production in Bangladesh. When you start buying and selling stocks based on butter production in Bangladesh, you offend your lactose intolerant girlfriend, who in turn moves out. When your girlfriend moves out, you can't afford rent on your own because all your money is tied up in the stock market. When you can't afford rent on your own, you become homeless and alone. Thank you. Don't become homeless and alone. Get rid of financial advice from armchair analysts and upgrade to Money Talks. This is Money Talks. 
Welcome back to Money Talks. Would How about you, that intro? Would you say you're an armchair analyst? Um, I'm. I got lost at one part in there. Was that yeah. Kramer? Was that a Kramer reference? <laughs> I think it was a Kramer. Is this? A, are those original material? That's impressive. He. You he, heard it here first. He has arms on his chair. And I'm an guys. analyst. And you're an analyst. Therefore, so I don't. when we go down after this, I'm taking the armchairs. I mean, the armrests <laughs> off my chair. <laughs> T- I just to, won't sit, sit in a chair anymore. Talk to me about Bangladeshi dairy right now. Oh, well, it's hot right it's, now. <laughs> oh, really? Futures. Wow, futures. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you buying? Bye, bye, bye. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Well, seems like everything goes up right now, so why not? <laughs> Can't go wrong. <laughs> Well, we uh, wrapped up the last segment talking about, well, we didn't finish the the question, but it's about stock versus asset sales. We made it through the asset part. I know it's an exciting topic, um, but uh, we'll get to the stock part of it since it is uh, relevant. With a stock sale, the buyer purchases the selling shareholder stock directly, obtaining ownership in the seller's legal entity. Um, so basically, with a stock sale, the buyers lose the ability to gain a step up in basis in the assets and don't get to redepreciate certain assets. They just carry the depreciated basis from the previous owner. Also, you're on the hook for future lawsuits, environmental concerns, OSHA violations, things like that. Um, these potential liabilities can uh, be mitigated if you have a stock purchase agreement in place. So, you know, every case is going to be different. Consult with a professional. Um, don't assume that, that you can figure this out on your own because uh, while I'm sure you run your business you know, to the best it can be run, this isn't your bread and butter, and you, you're not used to selling your business more than likely. So um, having someone by your side to represent you is always a good idea. Well, Jacob, yeah, well, let's talk economy again because – I think it's a, a crazy world right now. Yeah, I think a great starting off point was so we're talking selling businesses. Interesting, if you look back in the jobs report, small business hiring, small and medium-sized business hiring was a lot slower than the big, large company. So That it was. Yeah, we only yeah. added 75,000 jobs yep. in May. Yeah. Expectation was for, I think, 185,000. Right, right. Wage growth is still, you know, unimpressive, yep. I guess, let's say. I mean, it's there, but unimpressive. Continuing claims. I mean, we're still, we're still. Four week moving average continues to. Yeah. So. To look better and better. It's it's a kind of, it's a kind of wild, macro picture. I mean, wow. What what a fun time. What a fun time to be an analyst. Trying. Oh yeah. To figure out. My crystal ball is broken. Right where now. where all the chess pieces fall. But I guess, I guess, let's let's keep it simple, right? No uptick in unemployment mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> yet. The yield curve is inverted. Has been inverted for yes. two months? Not quite yet, but Getting around there. there. Around there. And the Fed's talking a potential rate cut in July. That's what the market believes. That's kind of what it feels like they're telegraphing. And I think my interpretation, you can tell me yours, I think my interpretation especially with the press conference afterwards with Jay Powell, you know, getting, getting grilled by everybody, um, is they're waiting for the economic data to come through. Maybe that's veiled. <laughs> maybe that's veiled with, we'll see if a trade deal gets done, mm-hmm. right? But they're waiting for the economic data to come through. So if, that can, if the economic data worsens from here and they are cutting rates, then you're in a situation where typically if labor is this tight, and the Fed is cutting rates, 
they're seeing something in the future, that R word, that we all fear. Because if you look at history, unemployment rate under 4%, Fed cuts, the Fed funds rate. Yep. Recession followed mm-hmm. every time. So you could, you could, now that's, you know, the scary piece. You could, I mean, look at the 90s. It kind of feels like the 90s in a lot of ways. Look at the 90s. Well, Fed cut rates in 95 into a weakening global growth picture, you know. 98 as well, you know, it, it, we were a little too tight there. We had the Thai bat crisis, you know, the Russian Russia. Russian crisis and the cut rates in 98. Arguably, <laughs> arguably that's when the real <laughs> when the real bubble got blown, but we had plenty you would have done well to maintain, you know, uh, a risk stance into that environment. So, I guess it's kind of like there's all these tertiary things like Iranian war. What's the likelihood of that? You know, you start to handicap all sorts of different ideas around. We got massive flooding in the Midwest. What's that going to do to grain pricing? It's, it just gets very difficult. But I think at the end of the day, where I stand is if the yield curve is inverted, overall, you should reduce risk in the portfolio. That doesn't mean I predict a recession, you know, in the next year. It just means, it's a lot more likely now than it was a year or two or three ago. Absolutely. You know, let's say we get a rate cuts, right, and asset prices continue their upward movement in, in the stock market. Where is that? The, the missing piece to me is earnings growth, though, because Didn't even you, don't have violation, or you don't have valuations that makes – valuations are, are a little high right now. Yeah, we're at like 19 and a half times earnings, high 19s. Which, so, so if asset the, prices continue to rise at this level, but there's not earnings growth to support that. Well, it's yet to be seen. You know, Q1, what did we grow earnings? Less than 1%. Yeah. What's the expectation for second quarter? I, Probably similar. I've the, seen some estimates that single, were lower. Yeah, we expect. That, that were negative. But again, what, these analysts are the same as us. How do you, how do you predict <laughs> in an environment of, you know uh, – a global trade war. How do you predict? Well, trade deal gets done. Okay, earnings growth is 10%. Trade deal doesn't get done. Okay, earnings growth is negative 3%. All right, let's just midpoint that. You know? You, you want to go <laughs> You want to go 10 hat here that we talked about? Uh, Fed, Fed cuts. That's not 10 hat. That, it makes sense. It does make sense. 10 foil hat. 10 foil hat. 10 yeah. hat, that sounds like Johnny Appleseed or something. Well, that's a pot. <laughs> yeah, tin foil hat. Um, but, but let's say you get a rate cut. You get two, two rate cuts, or mm-hmm. you, you get one for 50 base points, something like that. We'll start with the premise. Donald Trump wants to get reelected. Absolutely. It helps if the market's up if you want to get reelected. So, so how do you do that? You, you put ahead. pressure. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, you put pressure on the Fed to yeah. cut rates, whether that be through uh, a trade war with China. Or your tweets. Yes, whichever. <laughs> um, the Fed cuts rates. Mm-hmm. That's That props asset prices further. Yep. Then you follow that up with, oh, we got a trade deal done with China. You, you, you come to a more level playing field with China, make something happen, and that just sends equity markets even further. You're the greatest thing ever for the economy just in time for uh, an election year. Yeah, it's, it's the... Hold my beer factor. It Watch is. This. It absolutely is. 
So Which is like, interesting. You, Donald Trump has this this no, everyone has this notion this this guy's a lunatic. This guy's out of his mind. What if he's just like really smart and he he is everything is working out exactly as he's planned it. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's, believe. It's, yeah, it's hard it's, to believe. But in that scenario, one of the things you know, it was actually brought up in the press conference, mm-hmm. right? The question always becomes, you know, it's we're making decisions here our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if rates have already moved down the way they have, and the Fed's cutting rates, well, if I have to make you know big asset purchase, buy a house or a car. Am I going to hold off and say, well, let's wait and see where they settle? Because if the Fed cuts rate once, then you know you're thinking uh, maybe it'll happen again. So in your scenario, the only you get the quote unquote, pardon the pun, Trump card yep. on that, and then everyone gets excited. They're like, oh yeah, trade deal's done. Let's invest in our business. Let's make it happen now. And you you get that huge. CapEx boost that we're waiting potentially that we've been waiting for it feels like yeah and then you would, that was expected to happen once we got the, the tax reform and I still don't really think that's ever happened well the increase in CapEx yeah. to the extent that we expected I mean a lot of stock got bought yeah a great, lot of, great use of a cash lot, a lot of stock was repurchased um, but yeah it, it, absolutely interesting times I personally hope I don't wake up tomorrow and bombs went off in Iran just as an investor because right. we got enough we got enough other things that we're trying to figure out right now yeah, as a country and you know as globally, investors globally uh, yeah, it, absolutely absolutely there's there's only so many spinning plates you can have eventually before one of them comes <laughs> crashing comes, down comes crashing down well guys uh, that about does it for the show this week what do you think for the markets next week Jacob uh, well, we we got new all-time highs now, so let's just keep running. We're running higher. Jesse? Yeah, it's going to go up. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. We'll see you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.